0: Give God a hand clap of praise. Come on, how many are excited about Jesus today? Isn't God good? Praise the Lord. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I am uh, Travis Moses, and uh, I'm not the man. I just know the man. His name is Jesus. How many are glad you know the man this morning? Um, I, uh, If you're here for the first time, uh, again, I'm not the pastor. The pastor of Waterview Church is a lot taller than I am. He has a much better beard than I do. Uh, Pastor Jason Bentley, who I love dearly. Um, Me and Pastor Jason met uh, several years ago now at a men's conference that both of us uh, preached at together. And we uh, got to know each other a little bit, realized that our churches were only about an hour apart. Uh, I pastor in Winston-Salem, and uh, so we got to know each other, Um, and since that time... Pastor Jason and his wife, Alex, and their boys, they've been in my home, I've been in his home, me and Jason have traveled together, Um, I love your pastor, and uh, he's a wonderful man and and he makes me laugh, and uh, I love him dearly, and I wish that my wife and my family could be here with me this morning. Um, My wife um, has some obligations at our church this morning, and she had to be there today um, but, uh, I am the husband of one wife. Uh, we've been married for 14 years next month. I have three daughters, uh, a nine year old, one that turned seven this week and a four year old. And, uh, I'm a ladies man, y'all. Um, I love my wife and girls and, uh, always miss them when I'm away from them. But it's great to be here, uh, this morning and I, I want to get into the word for a few moments and, um, before I, I do, I just want to remind everyone of launch step three immediately after service back here in the back room. If you miss step one and two, that's okay. You can still jump right in to launch step three. That's immediately after service. And uh, if you want to get to know more about Waterview Church, if you want to get more involved, uh, please be in that uh, meeting immediately after the service. Um so i'm not at I'm not at home this morning, you know um our service at home in Winston starts at ten o'clock and um so I would like to, if it's okay with you, I would like to do something right now that is just kind of our custom at my church. It'll just make me feel a little more at home this morning. Uh, we always stand for the scripture reading. Is that okay? Can we just stand one more time? I want to invite you to turn your attention, open your Bibles, if you have them, to the Old Testament book of First Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. and I want to highlight three uh, verses of Scripture this morning. I want to look at verses 19 through 21. Are you ready for the word of the Lord this morning? First Kings 19, uh, verses 19 through 21. This is a um, this is a weird story. All right. this is a very strange, story that we're going to dive into this morning, but I really believe that there's a lot in this text that's relevant to us and our lives today. The scripture says in verse 19, so Elijah went and found Elisha. We're going to talk a lot about those two men, uh, those two characters this morning, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, notice this, and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire and to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, to the neighborhood, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant." Everybody said amen. Amen. I want to speak to you guys for a few moments this morning. I want to title this message simply, Burn It Down. Burn it down. And I'm not encouraging any physical fires. Don't, Don't go burn any buildings down or anything like that. I know that that doesn't sound politically correct, but there's some spiritual... Uh, sustenance that I want to get into with this this morning and I want to talk about this burn it down I want to pray and then I'm going to let you be seated father we just thank you Lord for the worship that has gone up from this place this morning I thank you for every individual that is here today and father we know that your word declares that when your word goes forth it will never return unto you void but it will accomplish the very thing that you have sent it to do. And I ask God here at Waterview Church this morning for the next few moments that you would just move Travis Moses out of the way. This is not about me, but it's all about you and us hearing what thus saith the Lord. And so I just pray that you would speak to us with your words of life this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen. God bless you everyone. You can be seated. A rather unique story here that we, that we read, and I, I really want to spend just a few minutes here trying to unpack this, but the first character that is mentioned in this text is a man by the name of Elijah. Um, if you're a Bible reader, you know that Elijah uh, was an extremely powerful man of God, and Elijah got to do all of the things that you and I just would love to be able to do. Uh, So many miracles that God performed through the ministry of Elijah. Uh, This is why in 2 Kings chapter 2, the Bible says that Elisha, who would later become Elijah's assistant, the Bible says that he looks at Elijah and he says, I want a double portion of the spirit that is on your life and on your ministry. And I like what Elijah said back to Elisha when he asked him that. He said, well, that's a very difficult thing that you're asking me. That's a very hard thing. And he said that because he operated in so much supernatural power, in demonstration gifts. Like it would have been one thing if Elisha said, man, I just, I just want like half of what you have to come on me. If I could just have a portion of, of, of the anointing and the power that's on your life to come on me, But he asked for a double portion, and Elijah's like, that's a very difficult thing. Why did Elijah say that to young Elisha? He said it, first of all, because the Bible lets us know that through the power of God, Elijah controlled the weather. Think about this for a second. 1 Kings 17 and 1, Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, said, It will not rain again in Israel until I say that it can. That's a scripture in your Bible, and the Bible said when Elijah pronounced that, that the rain stopped, and for years in Israel it did not rain because Elijah said it was not going to rain. There's another place in the scripture where this prophet Elijah, the Bible says because there's a famine in Israel, because there's a drought, that he prophesied, he's responsible for. The Bible said that Elijah goes into the woods and the scripture said that every morning and every evening God caused ravens to send Elijah bread and meat. Now think about this. People are starving to death. There's a drought in the land of Israel. There's a famine. But every morning, Elijah's eating uh a Bojangles sausage biscuit. I mean, it's, it's bow time, and then every evening he's getting Texas Roadhouse steak and, you know, those good, you know, buttered rolls at, at Texas House. I mean, he, he's, he's eating good in a time of famine, in a time of drought, like God is taking care of Elijah. There's another place in the Scripture where the Bible said that Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, comes to a place called Zarephath, and there's a widow woman there. And because of this famine in Israel, because of this drought, that Elijah was responsible for prophesying into existence and said rain is going to stop until I say it can rain again. The Bible said this widow at Zarephath She has just a little bit of flour and oil left in her jar, the scripture said. She's going to use it to feed her and her son one final meal, and then they're going to starve to death because that's all they have left. Elijah shows up at Zarephath, and he looks at this widow woman, and he says, make me some dinner. Make me something to eat. She says, sir, you don't understand. I have just enough flour and just enough oil left in the jar to feed me and my son. And we're out of food because of the famine in the land. We're going to starve to death. And Elijah's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Just make me some dinner. It's going to be all right. She makes him some food, and the Bible said Elijah looks at her, and he prophesies to her, and he says, until God sends rain on the earth again, there will always be flour, and there will always be oil in your jar. Can you imagine that? Like every time through the supernatural power of God, every time she came back and scooped out that last bit of flour, And scooped out that last bit of oil and put the lid on it. When she took the lid off, there was more flour again. And there was more oil again. Because the prophet had prophesied this to her. Then that same widow woman, her son dies unexpectedly, suddenly, tragically her young son dies and the Bible said that Elijah takes him up into this upper chamber and he lays down on him and the Bible said that God resurrected this young man from the dead. Elijah did all these miracles, resurrecting the dead telling it to stop raining, controlling the weather. How would you like to, maybe you're getting ready to go on vacation to the beach. How would you like to, you know, next week if you're going on vacation, say, you know what? It's not allowed to rain for the next seven days while I'm on vacation. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Like if you're going to play golf this afternoon, you got a tea time after church, and you're like, you know what, for the next four hours it's not allowed to rain because I said it cannot rain. I mean, this is like the power of God that this prophet of Israel was operating in. The Bible said in 1 Kings chapter 18 that Elijah called fire down from heaven on a mountaintop and consumed the 450 prophets of Baal. He's raising the dead. He's calling fire down from heaven. He's controlling the weather. I mean, he's he's getting to do all this fun stuff that all of us would just love to be able to access and step into that kind of power. The Bible even says that Elijah didn't die. Do you know that the scripture said that one day, as Elijah was walking down the road, the Bible said that chariots and horses of fire showed up and just took him and removed him from the earth? You know, I've told my church this before. I'm like, if a strange man shows up in the service today, and you know, he's dressed in like a cloak or like dressed like somebody straight out of the Bible. I've told my church this. I'm like, be sure that you welcome him and be really nice to him because it might be Elijah because the Bible says he never died, that the Lord just took him with chariots and horses of fire, that there was a tornado, that there was a whirlwind, and God just took him out of here. He was a powerful man of God. And here he is, Elijah, somehow, Uh, calling fire down from heaven, raising the dead, controlling the weather, doing all of these amazing things. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he's on a mountaintop. He calls fire down from heaven and consumes 450 prophets of Baal. And in the next chapter, in 1 Kings chapter 18, he's hiding in a cave and he's asking the Lord to take his life. 1 Kings chapter 19, he says, Lord, would you just let me die? And the scripture said that he was running from a woman by the name of Jezebel, who was the queen of Israel. Ahab was the king of Israel. Jezebel was his wife. And she said, when Elijah consumed the 450 prophets of Baal, she told Elijah, she said, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to make you and your life like the prophets that you destroyed, I'm going to take your life. And the Bible said this man, think about this, who's controlled the weather, raised the dead, called fire down from heaven, performed miracle after miracle after miracle, now he's hiding from a woman that has threatened his life, and he's asking the Lord, just let me die. This incredible man of God somehow knew about the depths of depression and fear and anxiety and he's isolated himself and he's in this cave and the Bible said that the voice of the Lord speaks to him and he says Elijah what are you doing here you don't belong in this cave the my power is on your life my spirit is on your life my calling is on your life and he says in first kings 19 to Elijah what are you doing here Why are you hiding in this cave? And he begins to give Elijah instruction. He tells him, if you read 1 Kings 19, the entire chapter, he says, I want you to get out of this cave and I want you to go back to where you came from. And when you get back, To the wilderness of Damascus, this is what you're going to do. You're going to anoint Jehu, a man by the name of Jehu, as the next king of Israel. He's going to take Ahab's place. I'm going to remove Ahab, who was an evil king, a wicked king from the picture. Jehu's going to take his place. He's going to be the next king of Israel. But then you're going to anoint a young man by the name of Elisha to take your place. He's going to be the next prophet of Israel because this is how it worked in biblical times in the days of Israel Israel was built on kings and prophets, right? In the Old Testament, you had uh, Saul, who was the king of Israel, and beside him, you had Samuel, who was the prophet of Israel. Uh, In another place later on, David takes Saul's place as the king of Israel, while Nathan takes Samuel's place as the prophet of Israel, and the king and prophet would work together, but sometimes there was tension in the relationship as the prophet was an advisor, a counselor to the king, and there would be conflict in the relationship. Now we come to this place where Ahab, an evil king, is the king of Israel, and Elijah is the prophet of Israel, but God speaks to Elijah as he's hiding in this cave, asking the Lord to kill him. He says, this is what I want you to do. Go anoint Jehu. He's going to take Ahab's place, and go anoint this young man by the name of elisha to take your place now picture this i'm getting to where i want to be now this is the most crucial part of this story so the bible says that elisha gets up from this cave and he does exactly what god calls him to do he goes and he finds elisha this young man now i want you to picture i want you to picture a farmhouse i want you to picture like this this white house with a tin roof on it and there's a barn behind the house and there's cornfields and and there's there's all these things and And there's this big old field and and here comes Elijah. God's told him to find Elisha and anoint him as the next prophet of Israel. And he comes, big old farmhouse with the barn and the cows and, and the pigs and the chickens and the field and all the things. And he looks and the Bible says he sees young Elisha in this field and he's plowing the field with these oxen. No machinery, no tractors, nothing like that, no, no equipment. Back then they plowed the field with the oxen. He's with the 12th team of oxen and you can picture it, he's working hard. I mean, it's intense, he's sweating, he's dirty, he's been out there for a while. He's plowing the field and the Bible says that Elijah walks up to him as he's working and as he's plowing. No words are spoken. There's no verbal conversation here. There's no communication, dialogue whatsoever. The Bible says Elijah walks up to him as he's plowing this field with the 12th team of oxen, and he takes off his cloak, and he throws it on the back of young Elisha. Apparently, Elisha knew exactly what this meant. No words were necessary, nothing had to be communicated or said because Elisha knew exactly what this meant. When Elijah threw that garment over Elisha's shoulders, he looks back at him and he says, at least let me go tell my mom and dad goodbye first. Signifying to us that first of all, Elisha was a very young man. Right. First of all, he's in the field and he's plowing the field, so it takes work, it takes energy. He's got to be a young man with his strength and his energy to be able to be out there and plow in the field. But also, when Elijah threw that cloak on him, he did not say, let me go kiss my wife and children goodbye. He said, please let me go say goodbye to my parents and then I'll come back and I'll follow you wherever you go. Elijah says, go do what you need to do, but think about what I've done to you. And so Elisha runs back. He tells his parents goodbye. And then the story gets just kind of crazy. The Bible says he comes back outside and he breaks his plow. He tears the plow, the wooden plow, into pieces. And the scripture says he sets fire to it. He sets fire to the plow, and once he's got a good fire going, the Bible says that he slaughters all 12 of those oxen. He slaughters each of them, and he begins to roast their flesh. Now, I know Pastor Jason Bentley, and I know that he's a deer hunter. He's a very committed deer hunter. If you know anything about deer hunting, you know that the whole process of killing an animal, cleaning it out, all the things. This takes a lot of time. This takes, it's a slow process. It takes a lot of work. So here he is. He breaks his plow, starts a fire, slaughters every one of the oxen, skins them, prepares the meat, begins to roast their flesh, and the Bible said he feeds the entire neighborhood. Once this is all done, all these extreme measures have been taken, the plows destroyed, the oxen have been slaughtered, everything's been reduced to ashes, everything's been consumed, go back and read the text that we just read together, the Bible says that Elisha looks at Elijah and he says, now I'm ready to follow you wherever you go, now I'm ready to be who God's called me to be. Now I'm ready to do everything that God has called me to do. What was Elisha doing? What was in this young man's mind when Elijah threw his cloak over his shoulders? Why didn't Elisha just say, let me go kiss my parents goodbye, let me pack a bag, let me get a snack, and I'll be on my way, and I'll follow you, and I'll do everything God's called me to do. Why did he feel it necessary to break the plow into pieces? and then to set a fire to it, and then to slaughter the oxen, and then to have all the meat consumed and destroy it all. Why did he take those extreme, dramatic measures? I believe that young Elisha knew in that moment when that mantle came on him, when that cloak came on his shoulders, he knew that this plow and these oxen and this field now represents my former life and the person that I used to be. This cloak that's coming on me signifies that the plow and the field and the oxen are no longer who I am. This is the life, the person that I used to be. The Bible says, forgetting the former things Leaving those things behind and pressing forward, Paul said, to the things that are ahead. What was Elisha doing when he burnt that plow and roasted those oxen? What was he doing? He was saying this. Just in case I step out here in ministry and I follow Elijah and I do what God's called me to do, And I become the prophet of the Lord and I step into ministry and I step into destiny and I step into the call of God just in case when I get out here and ministry gets hard and ministry's not fun anymore and things get tough and I start going through a storm, maybe me and Elijah get into a place where we're not getting along very good. There may come a point in my calling There may come a point in my ministry that I find myself in adversity wanting to come back to the person that I used to be. I may be tempted at some point in pursuing the call of God that's on my life to come back and pick this plow back up and come back to these oxen. Why didn't he just go put the plow in a barn? Why didn't he just put a cover over it? Why didn't he just put put the oxen in a fence somewhere? Because what he was saying is just in case I ever find myself tempted to come back to who I used to be or what I used to be, this is what I'm going to do before I ever start. I'm going to burn the whole thing down. And when I burn the whole thing down and I get out here and ministry gets tough, And life gets hard and trials come and storms come and I find myself being tempted to going back to the person I used to be. There's nothing for me to come back to. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage everyone in this room this morning that God's not called you to lay things down. He's called you to burn it down. The person that you used to be before Jesus changed your life and saved you and brought you into the kingdom and called you and filled you with His anointing and His purpose and His plan. That person you used to be is no longer in existence. It's no longer an option because I've burned up the plow and I've roasted the oxen. There's nothing for me to go back to. Just in case, Elisha was saying, I'm ever tempted to come back to this. I'm going to ensure that there's nothing for me to ever come back to. I believe in Christianity today, in life, in the trials of life, in storms, adversities, setbacks. We all deal with it. I believe, and I've pastored long enough to, to see this and to know this, that sometimes in the life of the Christian walk, there's this temptation when when Christianity's not new anymore and it's not fun anymore and everything's not just filled with you know, glamorous things, sometimes there's this temptation that says, you know what, I'd kind of just like to go back. I'd kind of just like to go back to being that person I used to be before God called me, before God changed me, before God filled me with pur- purpose and destiny. The Bible says that God spoke... In Genesis chapter 19, Abraham and and God are going back and forth about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And God's like, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's like, God, please don't do this. Please don't do this. They go back and forth. Abraham's like, well, if I find 50 good men, will you save the city? And God's like, yeah, if you find 50. And then it went down to like 45. He couldn't find 50, so he's like, well, what about 45? God's like, okay, I'll save the city if you can find 45 righteous men. Well, what about 40? What about 35? I can't find 35, Well, what about 30? It's kind of like Abraham's at the 50. He's at the 40. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. It keeps coming down and keeps coming down, and there's, there's just no righteous people that are left in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham and God like negotiate this deal, and God's like, listen, I'll get Lot out. I'll get your family out before I destroy the city. This is my promise. And God sends these angels, and they show up to Lot's house. And they're like, we're getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire and brimstone are getting ready to. Y'all don't tell Pastor Jason that I preached about fire and brimstone on this morning. Don't, don't tell him that. I told him I was going to preach an encouraging message. And this is encouraging message. But so fire and brimstone are about to rain down. And the angels tell Lot and his family, we're going to get you out. We're going to get you out of here. But here's what we have to do, and here's the instruction. They say, we're going to move with haste. So we're going to get you out of Sodom and Gomorrah and you're going to be safe, but we've got to move with haste. And here's the instruction. Don't look back. Don't look back and don't turn back because there's nothing left here. There, there's nothing worth turning back to. There's nothing worth going back to. So we're going to move with haste. We're going to get you out. Don't look back. You remember the story? Lot's wife, she looks back. She turns back. The Bible says she turns into a pillar of salt and Jesus in the New Testament in Luke chapter 17 said remember what happened to Lot's wife. Church, there's nothing for us to go back to. There's nothing about my former life and the person I used to be that's worth going back to. The only way is ahead. The only way is forward and life can be hard and ministry can be hard and sometimes you will fall but a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again and if you're going to fall, it's okay to fall but fall forward and get back up again and keep moving forward because there's nothing for me and you to go back to. Forgetting the former things. God says, Isaiah 43, I will do a new thing in your life. I want to encourage someone in this room today to burn that plow to the ground. Burn up those oxen and ensure in your life that the only direction I'm moving is forward because there's nothing for me to go back to. Proverbs chapter 26 worded it like this. Proverbs 26 and 11 said it's like a, this is the scripture now, this is what the Bible says. It says it's like a dog that returns To its vomit. When when we go back to the person that we used to be before God called us, before God changed us, Proverbs, the book of godly wisdom and advice, says it's like a dog that, that goes back. I don't know if you've ever had a puppy. I've got a five month old puppy. Puppies can be gross. I mean, they can be absolutely disgusting. We got a puppy for Christmas for my daughters, it was amazing. We put her in a little box. They literally opened the box Christmas morning, and there was a puppy. And they started crying, and when we start crying. It was like the best Christmas ever in my life. And that dog can be so gross, so filthy, so disgusting. And if you've ever seen maybe a puppy go back to that, and you think, oh, my gosh, that's so gross. That's, that's how God feels when he, when he pulls us out of the darkness. Into his marvelous light. And he fills us with purpose and destiny. And calling and anointing. And he gives us a way forward. But so many people turn back. And they go back. The Bible says it's like a dog that returns to its vomit. Peter quoted that proverb in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter repeated that proverb. He quotes it. He says, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Of all people, to quote that verse, I believe it's interesting that it was Peter who quoted it. Why did Peter feel the need in the New Testament to recite that proverb to his audience in his book? I believe it's because Peter had experienced going back. You remember when Jesus calls Peter? The Bible says he changes his name right then and there because that's what God does when he calls us. He changes us. He transforms us. No longer will you be called Simon, but, but Peter. You know, he later tells him, upon this rock I'm going to build my church. All these things changes Peter's life. And the Bible lets us know that Peter was a fisherman, right? And what did Jesus instruct Peter to do? Lay down your rods because you're no longer... Going to fish for fish, but you're going to fish for men. Lay down those rods. So Peter lays down those fishing rods, right? He starts following Jesus, right? He's preaching, he's traveling, he's evangelizing, he's with Jesus every day. He's laid down the person he used to be to pick up the person that God's called and destined him to be. But what happens? Jesus is crucified. The last interaction that Peter has with Jesus before Jesus is crucified is Peter denies Jesus three different times. Three different times Peter denies Jesus the rooster crows, Peter's grieving in his heart, and then Jesus is crucified. John chapter 20 said that Peter didn't understand that there would be a resurrection of Jesus' body. He didn't know that three days later Jesus was going to get up. So now Jesus has died And for 72 hours, three days and three nights, Peter feels like he's responsible. I denied that I know him. I witnessed them kill him. And my last interaction with him, they looked each other in the eyes as Peter was actively denying, I do not know who Jesus is. So Jesus has now been crucified Peter feels like it's his fault for three days and three nights, the longest three days and three nights of any human being's life. He feels guilty. He feels condemnation. He feels all the things. And then the Bible said in John 20 and 21, it says that Jesus was resurrected after three days and three nights. And the angel tells Mary Magdalene, go find Peter and tell him Jesus has risen. Peter's discouraged right now. He feels like Jesus is dead and it's all his fault. So go find Peter and tell him Jesus has risen. Jesus and Peter have in John 21, they have an interaction after Jesus has resurrected. But before that, Peter's going through this roller coaster of emotions, right? And in John chapter 21, the Bible says as Peter's going through this Jesus died, Jesus was buried, he was supposed to come and restore the kingdom of Israel, he was supposed to come take all of our problems away, but I denied him, and he died, and it's all my fault. And he's going through this roller coaster of emotions, and in John chapter 21, he says, I'm going fishing. And he gets in a boat, he picks his rods back up, and he starts fishing. Remember, God told him, Jesus told him, lay those rods down. You're not fishing for fish anymore. I'm calling you to fish for souls. I'm calling you to fish for men. But in the discouragement and in the pain and in the roller coaster of emotions and in the trials of life in denying Jesus, he goes back to those fishing rods that he laid down, picks them back up, gets in a boat, and he's back to doing the same exact thing that he did before Jesus ever called him. Before Jesus ever changed him. I'm not preaching against fishing, by the way. If you're going fishing this afternoon after church, that's great. But he's he's doing the very thing that God told him to lay down. And the Bible said he was fishing in John chapter 21. He's not catching anything. It's just the boat is empty, there's no fish, because every time we go back to being the person we used to be, as opposed to the person that God's called us to be, it's always void. It's always empty. The boat's empty. There's no fish. Peter's right back to doing what he used to do before Jesus ever found him, before Jesus ever changed him, and he's not catching anything. And somebody screams from the shore. Somebody's standing on the shore as Peter's in that boat with some of the other disciples and says, hey, look at me. Peter looks, and he's like, who is that guy standing on the shore screaming at us? Cast your net. On the other side, Peter's like, I'm a professional fisherman. I've done this for years. Who is this guy on the shore, you know, giving me advice on fishing? And so they cast their net on the other side. And somebody on that boat is looking and they recognize who it is that's waving them down. And the Bible said they look at Peter and they said, Peter, it is the Lord, it's Jesus. The scripture says, this is so interesting. If you go back and read John chapter 21, and I'm closing right here. The Bible says that Peter is fishing and he don't have his shirt on. All right? He's he's shirtless. He's out there in the sun. He's fishing. He's working on his tan. He's doing all the things. And he doesn't have his shirt on. But when he realizes it's Jesus calling him, cast your net on the other side. The scripture said he picks up his cloak. Watch this church, Waterview Church, see this. He picks up his cloak, puts it on, and jumps in the the water and swims after Jesus. Who puts their clothes on to jump in, in the pool? I mean, he's fishing without his shirt. He's not catching anything. He realizes it's Jesus. He puts his cloak on, then he jumps in the water, and he swims towards Jesus. What was that cloak? What did that cloak represent? It represented the same thing that it represented with Elijah and Elisha when Elijah came and he threw that cloak over top of Elisha's shoulders. It represented his call, his purpose, the person that God anointed and destined him to be. And when he saw Jesus, he picked that calling back up that he temporarily laid down temporarily laid down put it back on his shoulders and went swimming towards Jesus and he never denied Jesus again he stood in the face of adversity from that moment forward and his relationship with Jesus Christ forever changed temporarily Peter laid those fishing rods down And he followed Jesus, but when life got hard, he went back to them, picked them up again, and was going right back to the person that he used to be before Jesus found him and changed him. But when he picked that cloak back up and put it on, he never took it off again. And I'm saying to Waterview Church this morning that there's some things that God's called us to burn down. To burn down the plow, burn down the oxen, to ensure that my path is forward and I'm going higher in Jesus and my life is about fulfilling the call of God and the destiny that He has set over me. And I'm not going to just lay down my past life, but just to ensure that I never come back, I'm going to burn it down. 1 Corinthians 9 and 24, as I close this morning, says, Do you not realize that in a race everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize so run to win all athletes are disciplined in their training they do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize so I got a, I got like a Pentecostal background I grew up in the Pentecostal church charismatic church I've got a towel with me because when I preach I sweat I'm not so much a man of the cloth as I am just a man that sweats when I preach. Okay, and this is just my background. It's just, you know, a teacher tells it, a preacher yells it. That's like the, that's like the biggest difference. And, and, you know, I grew up under this, this mindset a lot in the church that was like, well, I'm just glad to be in the race, right? And if I get to heaven one day, if I'm sweeping the floors in heaven, hallelujah, as long as I make it, As long as I'm in the race. But that's not the mindset that Paul said we're supposed to have. He said, don't be content to just be in the race. Try to win it. Don't be content with just being a church. Be a great church. The Bible said that Daniel in the Old Testament had the spirit of excellence on him. Don't just be a Christian. Be a godly Christian. Be a Christian that's on fire for Jesus. That says anything in my life that is hindering me from going closer and going higher in God. I'm not just going to lay it down. I'm going to burn it down. Because I'm never coming back to that plow. And I'm never going back to those oxen. I'm going to try to win this race. How many want to go higher in God? How many want to draw closer to God? James 4 and 8, draw near unto God and He will draw near to you. This is the promise that we have in God. I want to read this scripture to you in the book of Acts. I don't know that I, I gave it to them. I apologize and I, if I didn't. I'm closing with this. But it's Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to pray over us this morning. The Bible said that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles so that when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits, and they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this, but one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit Leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike, and a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers, watch this church, confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars so that the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Paul goes into Ephesus with the power of the Holy Spirit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the Lord that was on him was so heavy on his life that the Bible said there were all these people practicing witchcraft and sorcery and demonic things. But they got so arrested by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they built a fire. The Bible said they threw their sorcery books in the fire. All this stuff that that I'm tied down to, that I'm bound by, I'm not laying it down. I'm burning it down to receive the call of God that is on my life, to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and to move forward, not the person that I used to be, but the person that He's destined for me to be. He's called us out of the darkness, church, into His marvelous light. As the church stands this morning with me all over this house, Let us lay aside every weight and every sin the Bible says that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Will you close your eyes, maybe lift a hand toward heaven. Can we pray together right now? Father, in the matchless, wonderful, powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I ask for every hearer this morning, everyone under the sound of my voice today. God, over your church, over Waterview Church, over this body of believers, I pray, Father, that you give us the strength and the endurance this morning to run. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that you give us the strength this morning to move forward and to go higher in you. Lord Jesus, God, let us set a fire to the plow and to the oxen and let us ensure in our own life, in our own family, in our household, Lord Jesus, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're never going back to the people that we used to be because there's nothing to go back to. Remember Lot's wife. How when she turned back, it paralyzed her. There's nothing in our past for us to go back to. Father, thank you this morning that you erase our past. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And you loved us, Lord, with an agape love, with an unconditional love. And Father, we declare this morning in this house, Lord Jesus, we just come against discouragement right now. We come against burnout, anxiety, stress the feeling of being overwhelmed this morning, depression, in the name of Jesus, we say you must go. Father, let us be liberated this morning. Let us burn down everything that is hindering us or keeping us from going higher in you for running for you, God. Let us not be content with just being in the race. Let us run to win it in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you've called us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. Give us the strength to run forward. God, a world at its worst needs a church at its best. Let us be that church this morning. In Jesus' name, we declare that the battle belongs to you. In the matchless, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give God one more great praise this morning. If you love Jesus, God bless you, everybody. I want to thank you for being here this morning. If you would like to give today, ways that you can give to Waterview Church are coming up on the screen. There's also a drop box in the back as you exit the sanctuary. You can give that way as as well. And uh, I want to say God bless you, everybody. Uh, If you don't have a home church, Be here at Waterview Church. Next Sunday, Pastor Jason's going to be back. He's going to be continuing his series, The Real Jesus. Come back next Sunday. Don't forget, launch step three uh, immediately uh, after here if you want to be a part of that, if you want to get more involved with Waterview Church. God bless you, everybody. Enjoy your day. Have a blessed week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a moment of fellowship before you go home. God bless you in Jesus' name mighty name. Be blessed.